Hi, I'm Mark Cuban. I'm Jackie Geist. We're self-appointed experts in content and in making each other laugh. Welcome to our podcast on the tools. Where we talk about what we've been watching, reading, listening to and scrolling through. This week, we'll be talking about television series Euphoria, podcast Apology Line, another TV series, Sort Of, and one of my favourite Sydney drag queens, Vanity, and her Instagram account, at Wigs by Vanity. Great to see your face, Jackie Keast. How was your holiday? It was good. I laid pretty low. COVID was everywhere. So I just spent most of it at my parents up north, playing by the pool, you know, getting lots of material for the podcast. And, yeah, you'll be pleased to know my dad, Dan, is full of duckweed on your <laughs> advice. He's a, probably the podcast number one fan. <laughs> I caught speaking to of my dad when he told me I swore too much in the fifth episode, he counted all the swear words that I said. So, uh, sorry, Come Dad. On, Chris. <laughs> Chris needs to get a life. Um, Chris is going to be offended, and he's our only listener. So, <laughs> that's so not true. Um, I really didn't do much. We had a COVID household, so uh, I stayed indoors, which suited me fine. It was good. The weather was kind of. You are a hermit. I am a hermit. Am I a hermit? Um, <laughs> Sometimes. There's a bit of rain, a bit of sun, you know, a bit of everything. So, but, you know, it's kind of come and gone. Um, so over the holidays, um, I kind of reintroduced myself to Euphoria. Um, I came pretty late um to this television series. I watched a couple of apps from season one and it really didn't resonate with me uh, at the time. So when season two rolled around, I watched the first and second app and then I was hooked. Um, the producers and writers did an amazing thing in the second season. They kind of provided the background for the characters and how it all came to be. So, you know, um, how the characters, like there's a, you know, a drug dealer, there's someone who's addicted to drugs, um, there's a transgender person, you know, so all those backstories are kind of revealed in season two. And that immediately was a hook for me because suddenly it made sense for me to go back to season one um, and binge watch and uh, oh, it's amazing. And for our listeners who, like me, who are a bit late to the party, um, Euphoria is an American teen drama television series um, created written by Sam Levinson for HBO. Um, it's based on the Israeli television miniseries of the same name, uh, created by um, Ron Lesham uh, and Daphne Levin. The series follows kind of a group of high school students through the experiences of identity, trauma, drugs, friendship, love and sex. Uh, it stars Zendaya in the lead role, um, alongside an ensemble cast of a host of other amazing, talented actors. Uh, but for me, Hunter Schaefer, who plays Jules Vaughan, a transgender girl who enters a turbulent relationship with Rue, played by Zendaya, uh, after moving into the town, is a standout. Uh, she's pretty amazing. Um, and I think, Jackie Keast, yes. if we had met... Um, Jules and Rue in our school days, we would be very good friends with them. But they're too cool for me. I was not cool in school. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> you may be surprised to know. <laughs> well, I think they're not cool either. I don't think. I think they're. Uh... So basically, Schaefer is a trans woman, and she's just an unreal character. Like, um, she can't dress up like she's going to a rave, and she's just so interesting, so clever. Um, and in an interview, she said that the internet helped to cope with her gender identity. Uh, you know, so she turned to YouTube and social media to learn about people's transition timelines. Um, she stated that she wants people to know that she's not a cis girl. What is a cis girl? Do you know what cisgender is? Is that, what is it? So that's like someone that's born into the correct gender. Right, okay. Because that's not something that I am or feel like I am. She said, I'm proud to be a trans person. In 2019, Shafe said that she was closer to what you might call a lesbian. Um, and in December 2021, she stated that her sexuality was bi or pan or something on Twitter. But, you know, aside from her leading role in the series, she's also co-written an episode with the show's creator, Sam Levinson, um, and also collaborated with him on her character, um, you know, so that the the character kind of reflected her experiences. And so it rings, it feels authentic. Oh, completely. But it's fun. And she's, you know, there's a vulnerability to her character, Um Oh, look, I just think it's an amazing show and a lot of my younger nieces and nephews uh, and cousins are so addicted to this show. And, you know, they all say that that is really what they're going through. It's definitely aimed at a younger audience. But, you know, it sort of received, I guess, a bit of flack um, basically because, uh, well, I guess... A lot of people thought that the content, um, the approach to it was basically, the critics found it excessive. So, you know, in terms of the nudity and sexual content, a lot of them said it was excessive and unwarranted. But, you know, the show, since its debut, has received critical acclaim and, and praise for its cinematography, story, score, performance of the cast, particularly Zendaya, Zendaya and Schaefer, uh, an approach to its mature subject. Um, look, I fell in love with it and I am a bit late. The series premiered uh, on June 16, 2019. The second season just premiered uh, on January 9, 2022, and I think I'm two eps in. But, yeah, it's a great show, and it's kind of unlike anything. And, you know, quite frankly, it makes you want to go back to that school. Um, <laughs> were you popular like, at school, did you say? <laughs> that, that should tell you all. <laughs> No. But, uh, yeah, I had my own groove. I was fine. But yeah. I wasn't the cool – I was not the cool kid, as you can probably tell. <laughs> no, you were pretty cool to me. Um, yeah, so, look, I loved it. and the I really enjoyed binge-watching the first season. This, but when you say it's not like anything else, this show, as soon as – like every time – I haven't seen Euphoria, but when I – see clips of it, I'm like, this is Skins for Gen Z because Skins is no, for millennials. No, there's a lot of dick. No? A lot of dick and tits. I mean, <laughs> it's bizarre. No, it's pretty full on. And initially... It's good. I mean, finally there's penises on American television. There's been penises <laughs> on European television for many years. But the story is great and I have to say the intro sequence, first ep, season two, was 
a hook. It was phenomenal. And it just put all the characters in, in context. So, you know, and I did try to watch it, but they didn't mean anything. The characters, I didn't have a relationship with them. And whether in their testing or whatever, suddenly for them to, at the beginning of season two, kind of introduce you to the characters and give you the backstory was really clever. Um, and I've never seen that done before. And, yeah, that was great. And that was it. I was immediately hooked because suddenly I was invested in those characters. Um, yeah. But what I was going to say, I guess, though, that when I watched Skins, just to say that, I mean, like it really feel felt like I was seeing myself on TV. I was probably older when Skins came out, but it was definitely that show I'd never seen. It was really edgy. There was sex. There was drugs. And it just felt like a really authentic portrayal of young people. I mean, I watched it when I was 20 and it was kind of like my life when I was 20 and not 16. But it rang really true to me and it, it's this kind of feels like it, it's speaking to this generation now. So There's a great character yeah. on there. You know, we spoke about um, the commercialisation of independent porn, you know, like um, <laughs> and there's a character which I really like. He's not very popular. She's a little bit fat. She's kind of not seen by people and she starts to kind of dress. She starts experimenting with, you know, fashion and that's kind of how, you know, she gets her kind of her thing, right? Um, anyway, she then realises that someone had posted, I think, some kind of porn video that she made or sex tape that was leaked, and suddenly she got all these really positive comments and lots and lots of likes, and then so she started her only fans page, and um, it was fantastic. It's just like she's become... <laughs> her only fans page. She's become this only, like... She's discovered herself the power of what she has and who she is. And she almost becomes like this kind of dominatrix type character. Um, and you see her go to another level. And it's quite weird because they show the contrast between in the series where at school she's kind of invisible and, you know, not that cool, not that sexy. But then her online world is that she's completely desirable and wanted by men and um and is making money and it's just it's really interesting it's a nice uh dichotomy so yeah well it does speak to that fact when you're in school and you can only see yourself the way that other people at school see you and then when you leave school the whole world opens up to you like i think that's relatable to a lot of people and and definitely for teenagers like when I was a kid, there was no social media, but like we could go on MSN Messenger, and and that was like our escape and our other world where we could and the internet let you find other people like you, which maybe didn't like. I grew up in a regional town, like people. I just felt like I was a total outsider and didn't fit in at all. But on the internet, I could find my tribe, and I was writing blogs when I was. <laughs> and then following all these strangers, which is what you did in the early 2000s. <laughs> I think we all had a blog. I had a blog. Where, where, I had a few blogs. Your blog would be good. Where is it? Is it still up there? Uh, and the, the, the first blog now I block had, your I ears, find block it. your ears, Margaret. I'm not, I'm not putting it out there. <laughs> I'm not putting my blog on the podcast. If you want to know, you can contact me directly. But I definitely had a live, remember live journal? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I definitely had a live journal. Then I had a Tumblr. I, I love Tumblr. 
apparently it's becoming like retro cool again. Yeah. After it was decimated when it removed porn. <laughs> yeah, but is the porn back on? Yeah, but also it was the platform for journalists. Not, it was like Instagram. It was like Instagram before Instagram existed. Yeah, but it was, it was for like words. Beautiful images yeah, yeah. and words. Yeah, yeah. But beautiful images and, like, I just followed different people because I like their aesthetic and so many memes. Like, I love Tumblr. Yeah. Is it back? But is it back in its original form or is it just? I don't know. I just read an article the other day that said Tumblr is back and it's, like, cool again. Mm. But I also read an article that, do you you know what Neopets is? Yeah. Neopets is cool again as well. (sighs) People want retro internet experiences. Well, they can just unplug their computer and they'll have one. I can't remember my Neopets password. I'm sure they're all dead. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Now, what have you been, uh, during the holidays, what have you been listening to? (laughs) I'm not talking about any podcast. Or watching. Or reading. (laughs) I've been watching a TV show called Sort Of, and I kind of stumbled across this. You know, like one of those, this is before holidays actually, it's like one of those weekends where, I can't believe I still have these weekends after being inside for like two years. But, you know, like we can be like, I just don't want to go out. don't want to see people. just want to be in my house wearing elastic waistband pants. And anyway, I found this show by scrolling through every single streaming service. And it's comment- this comedy called Sort Of. And I watched it in about two sittings. And it was like just like I didn't really know what it was. And it was just like an unexpected joy. It's this really heartwarming tender funny show so um sort of is a canadian show it's set in toronto it's created by Bilal Baig and fab filippo <clears throat> and Baig stars as the role of sabi sabi is a gender fluid millennial trying to find their way in the world really and they they work in this sort of by night this queer bookstore bar which i is really cool and i wish i could go there but and as in the day they're a nanny to two kids at the same time, they're the youngest child in a Pakistani family and they're sort of estranged from their mother and hiding their identity from her, like including the fact that they dress very femme, like have like really cool style actually. Like, Are they like, long- what a tr- like a Muslim Pakistani family or? Yeah, so Sabi lives with their sister who <laughs> like they describe her as being aggressively straight, which it's hard to explain, but if you see her in the show, she's like, that is an aggressively straight heterosexual. I know woman. a few of them. <laughs> and um they they like Sabi's estranged from um their mother, but and then I think their father is away and they do not get along. But um, look, I guess this show, I mean, Sabi is queer and gender fluid and Muslim. I mean, this show is obviously breaking a lot of ground, but I think the themes of the show are really universal. Like it's dealing with love, growing up and death and the issues of identity kind of just one part of a greater show, um, greater story. Like the show is really nuanced. It's kind of low-key. Like Sabi is really deadpan. Like I read something that describes Sabi as being like Daria, if you ever watched that show in the 90s, and it's really on the money, like this kind of like flat affect and, yeah, but like so in the first ep we see that Sabi kind of feels like their life and their career isn't really going anywhere, like their boyfriend's broken up with them but was cheating on them with a straight woman and like (laughs) suddenly they get this chance to move to Berlin with their best friend 
seven and it feels like suddenly like their life is really about to begin for them when it's kind of been in like third gear. Well, but- in Berlin, everything begins <laughs> in Berlin. <laughs> At the Berhai. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be in there for 72 hours and not like know what the hell has happened. But that's an aside. But it kind of, this all goes out the window for Sabi when the mother of the children that Sabi nannies has a bike accident and goes into a coma and then suddenly Sabi can't decide if they're going to go to Berlin or not and they feel this weight of responsibility to this family and Bessie, the mother who is in a coma, has sort of become this really important figure in Sabi's life on their sort of path to accepting themselves and living really authentically Mm. Um, and, yeah, like it's just hard for them to reckon with and, like, Sabi is not a person that's very openly emotional. Like I say, like they're really deadpan Um, but this sort of incident means they kind of have to do stuff like process grief for the first time and it also comes out that when while Bessie is in a coma that she was having an affair so (laughs) Sabi has to help their boss, Paul, Bessie's husband, through this and like Sabi doesn't actually get along with Paul but his wife is you know maybe dying she was cheating on him and he's like kind of a mess like personally and with his kids so like Sabi kind of honoring their love for Bessie and the kids sort of steps up to be with them through this all and they form this sort of strange little family which in a way kind of Sabi needs because at the same time they have their own family stuff going on and it all kind of comes into conflict how many but like this how many years I think there's eight episodes. It's 20 minutes each. So that's why you can just watch it all in one. Oh, wow. And it's really e- it's easy to watch. And it's really smart. It's really funny. Like I love Sabi. I, I kind of want to be friends with them. Um, and I, I feel like this show deserves to be really popular. Like I hope it gets a um, bigger audience because, yeah, it originally aired on CBC in Canada. It's on Stan in Australia. I think HBO Max in the US. So it's, But Canadians do some yeah. edgy edgy work I have to say I do like their stuff remember Juno that was pretty edgy for its time I thought yeah yeah is there a nanny in Juno no it was Canadian there was no nanny oh Canadian I thought you said nannies do edgy stuff no 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 sorry (laughs) I'm like looking after kids can be edgy when they Mm. no I said Canadians do very edgy production some of their stuff is very good and very edgy Mm. I think very cutting edge and it kind of feels like I don't know, like it really felt me, gave you sort of a sense of Toronto where it's like it's a big city but it's not. And, yeah, like you can imagine how you can sort of feel like you've done enough. And I think sometimes people have that feeling in Australia and it's like when you're younger you're like, I need to get out of here, I need to go to London or whatever but, you, know, you I think that you I think to do. that's true no matter where you are, even in New York. I mean, because, you know, you find your tribe and that tribe there's, you know, it's not like there's eight or nine million people and you're dealing with all nine million people. It's like I think every city can be small depending on, you know, where you are and who you engage with. I mean, sometimes I feel like Sydney is a, a small town and that like I meet people and they know people I know and like even recently I found out one of our colleagues knows some of my friends but I had, I've been working with this person for like three years. I had no idea. It's like just stuff like that. It's like everyone is sort of connected. No, they are. So over the break, I kind of reconnected with 
something I listened to a while ago. I love, love, love this podcast. It's called Apology Line. Um, it's been around for a while, but along the lines of uh, the Ballad of Billy Balls, this is kind of covers a project um, called The Apology Project, uh, and it was launched in 1980. It was kind of like a conceptual art project and created by a guy called Alan Bridge who employed the pseudonym Mr Apology. Um, a really great idea. Bridge um, basically invited callers to apologise for their wrongs against people without jeopardising themselves um, and promoted the service by sticking up posts in the Tribeca area of New York. And what he would always say to people would be to not leave their identity, to use a public phone box, and that he wasn't affiliated with any law enforcement organisation, nor would he share the details. So it was kind of like a, a kind of public uh, confessional. Um, so the line um, was based at Alan Bridges' Manhattan Loft and used an answering machine to record confessions from anonymous callers. Um, and over the 15 years that the line was in operation, more than 1,000 hours of confessions were recorded with callers confessing everything from infidelity, you know, shoplifting, um, drug dealing to ritualistic murder. Um, and the opening, it's so good, I can't tell you. The opening um, ep, basically um, Alan Bridges invites every, everyone over to his loft where it's really funky and he's got like a goods lift and, you know, it's got a great vibe and they're all drinking and, you know, consuming drugs or whatever they're consuming and they're all having a pretty great time and then he says can you do you want to listen to um some of the people who leave their confessions or their apologies and everyone went yeah 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 and, and of course you get three or four different you know yeah i cheated on my husband yeah i'm secretly gay yeah but and all this sort of stuff and then this guy talks about how he bashes people but he kind of likes it and they're all like listening and they're really into it. And then he goes, and I murdered my neighbour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it was very funny because it. And the party just got a bucket of cold That's water. It. The party it. was. Wait, what the fuck? The party was over. Um, anyway, it's really pretty amazing. Like, you know, a huge project. I don't know really where he was going with it or whether he knew where he was going with it. Um, but he used to publish uh, – some of the confessions were published in Bridges' magazine Apology. Um, and unfortunately, the project came to an abrupt end in 95 when um, he was killed in, in an accident whilst um, diving and I think he was hit by a, a jet ski or, or something. And the culprit was never found. But his wife or partner um, kind of kept the project – alive for a while and, and she kind of has a whole bunch of audio recordings and knew this thing from, you know, the get-go, so knew it intimately and she kind of started this podcast. Um, it's really fascinating. So the pod- is it podcast is about the guy? Well, no, it's about it like the people. So it's basically, call in. well, you know, I mean, it's really interesting because it's, it's almost as much about him as the people who call in. Um, and he becomes 
you know, I mean, in a way, he becomes kind of uh, addicted to this, obsessed with this confessional thing, and it becomes his life and he's consumed. I wonder if it would change how you see people. Like, then is there a weight in carrying all these people's secrets, even if you don't know them? I don't think there's a weight. I think, I think in a way... You know, he's a bit of a voyeur and and yeah. he probably didn't get, like, you know, I mean, it would be interesting. I think, you know, everyone has a secret. What, well, you know, I mean, if you could apologise for anything, what would you apologise <laughs> for? What would you like me to apologise for? I don't know. <laughs> Just pretend. I'm not telling you that my darkest secrets <laughs> in this podcast. Well, you know, I mean, look, I love the concept and, you know, the concept and I wondered whether it would work. Today, and I guess not because, you know, in 1980 there was no internet, you know. It was yeah, a tape, like- it was the analogue tape machines. Um, you know, he marketed it through just signposting street posts and, you know, other kind of communication. But, you know, it's kind of like it's, the whole concept was, you know, if you could call a number and say that you're sorry, no, you know, and no one would know, what would you apologise for? Um, and, you know, that's kind of like atonement, I guess. I mean, look, you know, yeah. theft... But, you know, there's there's other things that, you know, and it says, you know, I've read where people who have murdered, you know, that they see the image of that person or they carry that burden with them and even years later they eventually confess. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's fascinating and it's like it is like the Ballad of Billy Balls in the terms of, in the way they kind of take you in. And he becomes, so obviously the police get involved because there were a series of gay murders around that time and somebody rings in um, and says that, you know, he liked bashing gay people and then says that he killed some people. So the police then take an interest because a journalist had written a story about this, the apology line. Um and interestingly, during that period, there's a guy who called who said he was the son of Sam and he'd called quite a few times. It's a really intriguing podcast and it's really an intriguing concept as well. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I feel like what is driving people to confess, but I feel like it's, it's sometimes I think everyone can relate to that feeling of having like a secret, feeling like a burden and then getting it off your chest and then suddenly you feel good. Or someone can tell you that's not that bad, or whatever, and whatever it is, and then you can feel kind of cleansed of it. So I, I, I get that feeling. I mean, if you're not religious and you can't go to confession, well, this is, I guess, serving that purpose for people. I mean, I'm not religious, but it, like, yeah. Oh well, yeah, but I don't know. Like, I, I did think about it, and I thought, you know, is this something that I'm burdened with, or that I need to confess and just own it all? I don't. I mean, I really thought about it. Like, I don't have anything. Like, what would I confess? I don't, you know. I think we had. <laughs> Do you want me to say? <laughs> no, but we had this discussion. And what no, did I you say? Think. You said. I, I said, I don't have any regrets. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but look, it's a, if you've got a chance, I really recommend the apology line. It just has a really good pace. And it's like a, not a true crime. It's probably more a thriller. Um, and really, and you know, then I end up going and reading some of the uh, archive stories. You know, the New York Times and the various newspapers that covered the thing. And you know, he was, he was this Alan Bridges guy was very creative and really interesting. And 
was kind of art, like in a way it was kind of like an art. And I think at one stage you could go to some event and he would play the apology. So you'd go into a phone box and that's really cool. And there were real people apologising for stuff. You know, I don't know whether that would work in this day and age, you know. No, there's no way you can be truly anonymous anymore. No, but, you know, I mean, also I think – I think the guilt factor, you know, it's it's almost like the moral compass is not what it used to be. You know what I mean? Do you think? Yeah, I do. I think, um, you know, morality shifted a little bit, I guess, and we're probably desensitised and, you know, I don't know. Anyway. Um, and have you been reading anything? No, but I have been, well, I've been scrolling through some Oh, stuff. have you? <laughs> No, this is someone I've scrolled through for a very long time. But I was going to say, like, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Instagram. And we have all social media, but Instagram is the platform that I definitely use the most. But the one person who really makes, like, Instagram really enjoyable for me is a Sydney drag queen and wig entrepreneur, Vanity Sometimes otherwise known as Vanity Fair, who posts under the handle at Wigs by Vanity. And <laughs> Does she have a store in, thought, in Sydney? Yeah. So she, on Oxford Street? She, well, she's got an office. I'm not sure where, <clears throat> but, like, her wigs are, like, oh, like she own, co-owns the wig with, her, uh, with Courtney Act, who's her best friend, and like, oh, Australian right, okay. drag queen royalty. But, like, Vanity's wigs are worn by drag queens all over the world, like, including RuPaul. Like, ev- she's... If you listen to some of the drag queens or, like, you follow any of the drag queens that are on RuPaul's Drag Race, for instance, they all speak of vanity. Um, So, yeah. But (laughs) if I opened anyone else's Instagram stories and I saw, like, at the top of the screen, it looks like hundreds of little dots because there are so many stories. Like, I would normally switch out immediately. But with, like, vanity, I'm like, oh, I'm about to settle in. I'm going to make myself a cup of tea and I'm going to be entertained because she is – hilarious so like vanity she is like one of sydney's like leading drag queens if you go to oxford street with any sort of regularity you may have seen her at stonewall um and she's an excellent mariah carey impersonator she also shows cases that on her instagram but um and like she does have a podcast as well with courtney act called brenda call me it's quite listenable vanity also runs a youtube channel but um and like when (laughs) rupaul's drag race down under was cast and Last year, I was like, I felt like I needed to reach out to the producers and let them know they had made a gross oversight because they didn't cast Vanity. It's like, do you want to make good TV or not? Like, <laughs> obviously they did not because that show, eh, I think it's uh, universally regarded as a bit of a dog. <laughs> like, it's maybe not the best installment in the franchise, which is a little disappointing. But besides the stage and the world of wigs. Vanity really shines on social media. And so. <laughs> you know, there'd be a few politics going on behind closed uh, doors. Of course there would be, I, you know, reality television casting. But come on, this is staring you right <laughs> in the face. Maybe maybe she declined. I don't think so. She talked about it on her Instagram, which I probably, maybe that's why she didn't get on. I think she maybe she broke some NDAs. She definitely nearly got on and talked about things that she wanted to showcase but um yeah like if you look on the grid like vanity every friday she posts 
a weed deal on fabulous Fridays, but really her stories are where she shines. And it, it's just like, it's just her talk. What, what, what does she do on fabulous Fridays? <laughs> she does a special deal and she spins <clears throat> around in her chair and says it's fabulous Fridays and talks about the wig and she just feels herself in how she looks and she's amazing. And I, I just can't explain why she's funny. Like I just, it's Fan fabulous Fridays. Fridays. And she said, slay well, yeah. sister. But like... <laughs> But it's just oh like her God. her stories are just like her talking to the camera and like whether she's just at work or in bed watching TV, like getting into drag, in her kitchen, like whatever. And she just talks about like literally what is on her mind. So what's the site called? Or it's at Wigs by Vanity. But she's just like. At Wigs. And it's just everyday stuff like her, whether she's tired, sometimes she talks about Australian politics, like sometimes she talks about her air fryer or like Barbie's. And vodka. (laughs) She's funny. Does that all sound like she's kind of on the brand? No, no. Like she is that person that is just like 100% being authentically herself. Like no. Are you sure? Like it seems like air fries and vodka. (laughs) Well, someone, a savvy air fryer company should give her a sponsorship deal. I want that for vanity. But no, like it's just like. She makes things funny in a way I can't explain. Like it's just like listening to your fun, like hilarious best friend rant and like I feel like I'm her friend just from watching this stuff. And like she's also really, and what I'm saying, like she's just brutally real in a way that lots of people aren't on social media. Like she had plastic surgery, like she had a tummy tuck and a Brazilian butt lift and she just posted every, like all about it and how <laughs> she was oozing and like all this stuff, which I just think if most people would kind of like, turn off their social media during their uh, plastic surgery recovery time. She also, like, got her hairline lowered and posted all about that. And she also is quite well known for posting long stories when she's had a few, which I think, you know, most people will wake up and be like, what have I done? But she doesn't give a shit and that makes me love her even more. And, like, she's eminently quotable, like, she, have you ever met her? Because you know they say never meet. I have met her, but I don't think she idols. would remember me because we were both quite intoxicated on the dance floor at Stonewall. And I just remember we had a conversation about uh, travel. <laughs> I don't know why. It was years ago now and she would definitely not remember me. But, um, like, yeah, she did a rant against Easter for being a Christian holiday because she grew up Christian and <laughs> dislikes Christianity, Christianity intensely so that she, whenever I drink now it's for Jesus and I'm always, <laughs> I want to play it. I don't know if, am I allowed to play a clip? <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, but you can't play it now. Yes, I but can. But you can play a clip. Yeah. No, you can't. No, no, because you've got to give it to Hugh. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give it to Hugh. <laughs> but yeah. I'm always quoting her, like <clears throat> this Friday evening rendition she does of Cheryl Lee Ralph's In the Evening and, like, if you like the drag queen Trixie, Trixie Mattel, who's been on RuPaul's Drag Race, she's always quoting this as well. I'm like, please imagine while listening to this, someone with an amazing mullet, dangly earrings, wearing a cape, spinning around in their kitchen, dancing kind of robotically <laughs> while drinking vodka. And I quote this every weekend <laughs> to my friends. Guess what? <laughs> it's Friday, which means... <laughs> mm. On the weekend, the real me comes alive. Follow, va- sounds follow like my vanity. Cousin. It will make it you happy. It sounds like my cousin. Why? He's got the mullet, dances robotically, and you know. 
Uh, yeah. Does he uh, wear dangly earrings and wear a cape? No, <laughs> you know, the clothes sometimes are interesting. <laughs> Not dangly earrings, but... Um, well, I think that's it for this ep. It is um, this the end, I think. Great to see you again after all this time. I know. Um, and if you enjoy what you're listening to, then don't forget to go to onthetoolspodcast.com and um, if you have anything that you want us to review or any suggestions or what, like to leave us a, a little note, um, please go to that URL and say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Yes, and subscribe um, to us on your podcast app. And if you want to, leave us a rating, five stars only, please. People who rate five stars are just, they're just hotter by, you, they're just hotter you people. A, you get a personal dance from Jackie. <laughs> Can you not solicit me out? <laughs> Anyway, I will I'll give you a personal you. dance though, so I'll, I'll, see. Dance. <laughs> I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. We're on the tools. All you need is headphones.